Zhao Luguo was born in South China. She studied film at the Beijing Film Academy and published six books in China before she moved to London in 2002. Since then, she's been nominated for the Independent Foreign Fiction Prize, the International Impact Dublin Literary Award, and the Orange Prize for Fiction. She was also named as one of Granter's best young British novelists in 2013. Her most recent book, however, is a memoir. Once upon a time in the East tells the story of her growing up in China and then moving to the UK. To help us celebrate Chinese New Year, I got the chance to speak to her about this extraordinary, frank, and very honest memoir. Xiao Lu, thank you so much for coming in to talk to us about your memoir,、uh, Once Upon a Time in the East: A Story of Growing Up.、Um, I mean, I should say first of all, because I've, I've just read this book, and you tell a lot of very, very personal stuff in this book. And yet, I'm now just meeting you for the first time, and I feel like I know an awful lot about you. Is it is there something strange about sitting down to write a memoir? Did you feel completely free to be able to tell everybody anything that you wanted, or was there any kind of self censorship as you were writing? I didn't feel unnatural at all.、Um, strangely enough, and I think this is the first book I felt quite、um, confident and、uh, easy, you know, because I didn't treat it as a memoir when、yeah. I was writing it. Also, I think the prose, the essay prose. Form is the form I always love, and when I was in China, I was writing that form you know, all the time. Even when I wrote two novels in Chinese, is that form?、Mm. And、uh, after writing those novels in English in the past ten years, I felt this kind of urge to return to that kind of very intimate, you know, straightforward, that kind of direct form without plotting, you know, the narrative drive, all that stuff. So I was glad I did that. To to begin at the beginning, if we can, it's an extraordinary beginning to your life because your parents gave you away to a to another couple,、uh, who very quickly then passed you on to your grandparents because they were struggling to to feed you, and in fact you didn't meet your parents really again until you were seven years old. Is that right?、Mm. That is an extraordinary beginning to any child's life. I just wondered how aware you were of. How strange that early part of your childhood was when you were a child, or how late it was in your life that you realised that it was a very strange beginning to life.、Mm, the strangeness always came much later when I was a teenager,、mm. and I reflect on to my early, you know, seven years. I realised I didn't see my parents for so for so long、mm. until I was seven or eight, and also the actual memory only began when I was really five or six, because、mm-hmm. I think that's a language being formed、mm. um, with my grandparents. We, actually, they spoke another dialect other than the dialect we spoke in the fishing village. The dialect they spoke was a fisherman's dialect from south south of China, you know, much southern than my province、mm. in Zhejiang.、Um, and I think the layer of different language in my childhood, three language,、um, kind of I wonder if confused me or or forced me to to find out where I was began. Yeah, you mentioned there about your. Grandparents, and、uh, there's a real honesty with your writing about your your grandparents because you talk about the way in which your your grandfather would beat your grandmother, and that that was a sort of a daily occurrence,、mm. and the sort of the violence, but also the extreme poverty. There's always this sort of searching for food all of the time. Was it difficult to kind of go back and and examine those that, those early years, as you say, sort of five or six, when you're having your first memories?、Uh- I didn't feel difficult at all. I, the most difficult part was、um, teenage years, the sexual experience as a young girl、yeah. in, the, in the bigger town. I think that's the part. Still, you know, until now, I think I find it very difficult to write about it as a writer rather、mm. than as a woman, because、mm. you can 
overcome from it. But as a writer, it, there's a way. You know what, what? What's the best way to write about? But the childhood stuff, because also the fact that the grandparents died long ago, mm. and the village become a sort of not myth, but f- f- kind of changed and filtered through layers of memory and imagination and retelling. And I told that childhood story in my first novel, Village of Stone, in a Mm. fictional format. So I already digested that quite dark and painful past. I remember that was the time, Village of Stone, the first novel, I felt so scared to publish because Mm. my parents were derated and and everybody's still alive, although my grandfather my grandparents died, but all the villagers were still alive. Mm. Um, that was a tough period. But now, after so many years, I, I wrote that village. Now it become very, even you know, much more elusive. And I didn't really care the the reaction. Really, <laughs> you, you've mentioned there that some of the the things that have happened in your life you have treated in a fictional context with your writing. Um, but you mention in in this memoir that there is one thing that you hadn't mentioned in your uh, previous fiction, which was to name the person who, who had sexually abused you when you were a, a teenager, as you said. Um, and as you just said, that that is a very difficult thing for you to write about. Was there a particular reason why you felt a need to, to write about it now and to, and to name him and to make it very clear? Um, for me, it's no longer a personal issue. Well, that sounds very strange. But um, because I treat those materials as materials now, as, as my writing materials. So those young woman's sexual experience become a sort of nearly spiritual or artistic reflection, you know, how we women become women. Mm. Because I very much aware those experiences are not not unique at all, you know, from China to Africa to Europe to America, you know, how young women become women mm. and those experiences you, you went through sexually and physically. Um, from Freud sense, um, it, you know, if you if you're into psychoanalysis, um, you would look at those experiences in a, in a very different perspective. Try to discover, you know, your later years, the way you deal with the world, with man, um, sexually and emotionally. So, really, you know, it's not I'm being cold here, but I really treat it as kind of materials. Mm-hmm. Um, I still can really. Um, f- draw the full picture about that, and there's nothing, n- you know, it's no longer painful or or, or or personally very kind of entangled, you know, in my in my emotional problem. You know, it, it's not like that. It's 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 a kind of subject is that, I need to study. I was going to say, in a way, is there a way of, as a writer, regaining control over that by by using it as material, by saying, okay, fine, I will take control over this thing that happened to me by by using it, I will get something from it, whether that's in your fiction or in this memoir. Did it did it help in a way to be able to put it down on mm. paper? You can say that, uh, but again, I, of course, when I was writing those sections, um, you know, not the village part, but the Wenling part, the teenager part, I think that I, th- I remember that was a year and a half ago, and I was in a very difficult kind of emotional um, stage. I First, I didn't want to write about it, but then I thought it's very important to, to reflect onto that. But then then you realize as a writer, you know, you need to find a way to to submit that topic 
from the personal experience to a kind of a larger um, experience, you know, to to look at nearly with a scientific eye, you know, mm-hmm. it, it is strange to say, but but I really still think, you know, woman's position and the relation to the man in the, in the world is so much being kind of marked, imprinted from those years' experience. Um, and I think I would write about that again in a different way. Uh, at the moment, you know, some parts quite primitive, you know, very raw. You can feel this rawness. And, mm. um, and I felt... You know, I really felt humble about this because as a writer, you you don't want to deliver very raw materials in the book, you know. So I actually want to write about that in, in the other way, yeah, in the future. Okay. And I think it's important. You, you said that you felt it was important to write. It definitely feels that when you're reading the book because, of course, it's a hugely important part of your development as a, as a person. And then, of course, we see as you get older, there are these stages where you're learning to trust men again and learning how to love uh, there is a huge thing about having um, the relationship with your grandmother and maybe not having a very strong relationship with your own mother so as you said that thing about finding your place as a woman you were having to do that on your own uh, and maybe with your friends is that is that about right you know that you were sort of together with your friends in your teenage years working out together what it meant to be a woman living where you were at the time in China absolutely absolutely and also another thing is about being individual with your own personal will and the ability to deal with it and to live in the world. I think that's a huge thing I felt in the village. I was just a, a little dot, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in those family maps and everyone lived the same. And I was just this little child um, try to belong to something big or warm or loving, but I couldn't find. Mm. And I think become a bit older, you know, 10 years old or teenager, found the literature or painting. Um, soothing, you know, the artwork was something warm and soothing for me to endure those years. Um, and I think that was a path, you know, I it came out from this kind of hopeless kind of village poverty mm. and also this brutal, you know, this earth. Those years, I think, 70s, 80s, you know, still very raw communism, um, industrial building up of the powerful China. So personal emotion was so eliminated. Mm. You know, everything is about dedicate your life, your time to, to the state ambition. And I I guess as a young girl, I found it very bleak, unlivable, you know, nothing soft. Mm. Um, and I really, literature was something, you know, kind of helped me, you know, going through those years. Um so I think the actual second chapter was much more significant in a way in the book. And when I came to Beijing, study art, cinema, and that was a moment, you know, I, I realized, you know, you, no one can help you. You can rely on yourself. That's the only rule. <laughs> and, that, and I guess that's where your, your artistic expression becomes so important, as you say, because that is the means by which you express yourself. Um, you've been a, a filmmaker and a writer, was there a huge difference between the kind of creativity that you could express whilst you were in China and then that which you've been able to express since moving to, to Britain? Yes, absolutely. Um, because it was clear, you know, when I left China, I was nearly 30. Um, I wrote many film scripts and uh, 90% of them were censored so I couldn't make film. Mm. And uh, it was a joke because 10 years in the film school in, in Beijing, then become a film lecturer, I couldn't make one single film 
because these rigid rules. Mm. So I end up as as soap writer. You know, really wrote many many really awful B rate <laughs> those soap <laughs> stuff. Um, and of course, I think my ambition was to become good novelist or good writer, good filmmaker. And I felt so, you know, just the desire was so hinged. And it's not like you you can make your own work, you know, through your effort, but not because you know the whole state, the whole censorship, the whole political atmosphere was oppressing. Mm. And I think also I found that I, the only way to, to get out is to, Refuse a second-hand Westernized uh, Chinese um, kind of social and uh, culture atmosphere. When I say second-hand, is you know in the nineteen nineties, you know that everything's really we imitated from the West. Mm. It's pop culture, the the music, the, the the way of writing a novel, you know, or the way of making film. It's all from the West, especially from America. Mm. So I said, why I stay in the country, learning all the second-hand Western style, rather than just leave and go to the West, so I can get the fresh stuff. Um, so that was a big urge for me. And I, when I left, of course, when I came to Britain, again, I found it's a disillusioned <laughs> process. Um, <laughs> but then at least I think you know, it took me some years to find um, I need to resume my my identity as a writer, as an mm. artist. And uh, actually, it was in, only in England I I was able to direct my own film, my first film I directed you know, mm. af- after I left China. So then it was really quick. Uh, was one film per year uh, in the first ten years. I, I direct all my films and I wrote all these novels, although in broken English. But that was the way to. I think psychologically to get out, um, I think the oppression I had or self-censorship I had for mm. so many years when I was in Beijing. You, you certainly made up for lost time because when you arrived here, as you say, with, with sort of broken English but wanting to write and using, in fact, many dictionaries to write your your first novels in English. But I have to sort of look at this, this story of how you got published because it is quite extraordinary and probably quite encouraging to anybody out there because... You wrote this book with the aid of all these dictionaries. You went into a bookshop and you found Wild Swans by Jun Chang, didn't you? And found out who her agent was in the back of the book and sent your novel to this agent who, who showed interest straight away. And then before you knew it, you were being published by Vintage. I mean, was it a very quick and confusing process? Is there something about the sort of maybe the naivety of not knowing how UK publishing works that actually helps you to just take the ball by the horns and just go for it? I wouldn't say it was easy um, because I remember I sent all my Chinese books to to Random House first mm. uh, after a year stayed in the UK and uh, I think someone wrote back a letter saying, "Well, none of us can read your Chinese text. They look nice, but what are they about? You know, and, uh, how you know you think we we should just publish you like that?" And uh, uh, Village of Stone, my first novel, you know, a, a translator, Cindy Carter, translated from Chinese to English. That book was the first book being published here first. Mm. Um, although I was already finishing a concise Chinese English dictionary for lovers, so I did have the encouragement from that first novel, and that novel was beautifully translated. Mm. Um, so it, it, there's some proof, you know, th- this this is an author, you know, she's not like bluffing. But <laughs> but the whole process is, still was blind and um, kind of anguish, you know, full of anguishment. I. I guess each book was struggle, you know, linguistically and mm. also how to submit the text to the publisher and to the wider market because I I was and I'm still 
am a very you know strange writer in a way because I felt I I always struggle with these primitive raw materials um, and and the, the you know the sophistication you know the the, the way of writing yeah so this I didn't have problem when I lived in China you know mm. I write some materials with some sort of method beauty you know mastering language but in the West. So I'm always in this kind of kind of deep gap, you know, to know. And you know, I have good materials, but I have very humble, poor writing writing skills or the, the, the ability to master the language. So I guess so, so those years or until now, I'm in this kind of always kind of anguished state as a writer. Mm. Just to look at this idea of identity, you're very honest about how having moved from China to Britain. There is a, your story about how your passport was was cut up. Your Chinese passport was cut up, and suddenly you were left with your British one. Um, and how Britain w- had been slightly confusing and disappointing when you had first got here. And indeed, when your parents come over, you can sense your mother's sort of <laughs> displeasure at this not being the England that she had thought it would be. Now that you are here, and that you have been uh, sort of awarded the. Uh, the title of one of Granter's best young British novelists in, in, in 2013, writing in English, which you have taught yourself. I just wondered where you felt your identity sat now between East and West. I had really, what do you call, you know, kind of cliche identity crisis in the first probably 10 years. Now, you know, nearly 15 years after, after I left China. But um, I think the first several years... Because I wrote in English, suddenly I discover, you know, the, the loss of my familiar world, even though I detest a lot of stuff about that culture, you know, my native culture. But still, I absolutely, you know, totally, you know, belong to that culture. Mm. Um, and I think the first several years was very hard because I didn't like my experience in the, in the UK. And I left. So I went to France and Germany you know, to do artist residence, to to become filmmaker, work with German and French filmmakers. And I thought I would settle in Paris or in Germany. But then, again, this this confusion as a writer. You know, the language is your identity. You know, as Milan Kundla said, I was writing English in Paris and in Hamburg, in Germany. And I, this confusion, and I was thinking in Chinese totally. So I felt I need to commit to the language I was writing, which is by accident in English. Mm. Um, and I said, I have to return to London, you know, because, you know, so full of love of, of London, but just it's coherent mm. linguistically. So I left Paris, left Germany, came back to London, wrote um, two, three novels in English, again, struggle. Um, but now I think I sort of overcame with it because the identity is pure really is a social construction you know mm-hmm. you know in the in the first place when you were born you know you were told you you were you were a girl or you were muslim or you were this you were that you know and those those stuff you know it's like the clothes you you, you were told to wear but you didn't choose at all so mm-hmm. it's totally artificial construction and later on you know you you need to possess all the identity to be able to live practically in society otherwise you couldn't survive mm. and i realized um being totally naked without those identity is a brave act, but also very uh, a kind of bleak existence. And I wrote, I wrote a film and a director film called The Sheer Chinese about the girl throw away all these identities and mm. become totally naked mm. to see if she could survive. 
and she did survive. And I think I came through that stage realizing, you know, being British or being Chinese or writing which language is not going to define who I am. Mm. Um, I am, you know, a writer, you know, write in both Chinese and English language, live in Europe at this moment, travel back to my native country every year, uh, try to, to become a good writer, but stay away from kind of self-indulgent, kind of self-satisfied mainstream culture. And that's my position. And I, once I discovered that, you know, felt much free to write. Just finally, this uh, book is so much about family. Um, and now that you have a, a family of your own, you have a daughter of your own, I just wondered whether that in itself had been something that was a bit of a catalyst for you to want to to sit down and write a memoir about your own past, having now a, a daughter to, to sort of tell the family story to. Was that part of the motivation? Or I wish I could say that, you know, <laughs> because... It's very natural. People think, you know, a woman writer, you know, when you have a child or children, you, you start to reflect and you, you would like to write that format, a memoir format. Somehow I, I didn't like this genre or this word memoir because mm. it's a very old-fashioned word, you know, kind of indicating you are dying or, or <laughs> you know, you try to make yourself a kind of you know, immortal thing. But, but really prose fiction about your life without much effort of narrative mm -hmm. or plotting, you know, and I think that's a format I like. Um, I guess I still try to overcome those years, you know, early years, and I felt the urge to write in non-fiction format. Um, and okay, with my own child, I think it's another matter, you know, totally, she's totally independent being. And I don't know what she's going to think of those books or the current book I, I wrote, you know, in the future. Yeah. Uh, we will see. <laughs> well, the, the, you know, only time will tell. Um, you, you've hinted as well that you, you may be looking to, to do a more sort of fiction treatment of some of the things that have happened in your life. But in the meantime, Jali, thank you so much for, for this book. It's been an absolute pleasure to read and a pleasure to talk to you about it today. Thanks.